0: Hello, it's Wednesday, February the 23rd, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up, it's not just adults suffering a cost-of-living crisis. Oh no, pocket money. It's been hard hit too. We're talking good news for Easter holidays. The European Union Council is recommending scrapping coronavirus tests for British tourists visiting European countries. We're going live to Ukraine to talk to our man there, Ian Birrell, who's been filing copy on the fear fatalism and defiance on the streets of the Ukrainian capital. But first, we're talking about whether the British sanctions are enough. And I'm talking to a senior figure on the parliamentary all-party Ukraine group. Britain and the Western countries have imposed sanctions on Russian banks and named individuals but many critics in the Commons say the measures so far are not strong enough. The Culture Secretary Nadine Doris has apparently asked the regulator Ofcom to review the operation of the Russia Today news channel which operates out of London according to Boris Johnson. Vladimir Putin, meanwhile, is insisting Russia's interests and security are non-negotiable. Joining me now is Tony Lloyd, who is the Labour MP for Rochdale, and he's the Vice-Chairman of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Ukraine. Mr Lloyd, we're told by the Prime Minister that it's a softly, softly approach on the sanctions, in concert with what the rest of Europe and the United States are doing, and that there are more sanctions coming down the line. Does that seem a good strategy to you? I'm
1: afraid not. Um, I mean, look, we're trying desperately to make sure that there is no party politics in this. There's no advantage in it being um, uh, kicked around as, uh, as as domestic politics. This is about trying to keep the people of Ukraine safe, and actually, um, as importantly, trying to make sure that uh, both. President Putin in Moscow, but also that group of increasingly autocratic rulers around the world recognize that uh, we're prepared to take a very tough response when they, um, when they move in directions which are not simply unacceptable, but as in the, the case of Ukraine, so unacceptable, it breaches every aspect of both moral and uh, international law. Um, I do think the sanctions uh, regime we've imposed uh, for example, bears bad comparison with the, the European Union, who've uh, um, uh, actually sanctioned every member of the Russian Duma, every member of the Russian Parliament, who voted for the absorption of these two Ukrainians um, um, would be stateless, and um, that shows a maybe a stronger and a, a tougher position. We've, in the end, we've got to make sure that we're hitting those around Putin very, very hard, and that's hitting them in the wallets, it's hitting them, preventing the families traveling, it's preventing the families coming here for education, and things like that. And if we don't show resolve now, then when will we? And I think that would be a common view across the whole of the House of Commons.
0: And the it's common knowledge, isn't it? this I think very few people would disagree on this, Mr. Lloyd, that London is effectively a laundromat for dirty Russian money. And so far the Prime Minister has targeted three individuals only, but they're already they've already been sanctioned by the United States, so they've probably got their money somewhere else anyway, and five banks.
1: And that's the worrying thing. You know, it is I think shameful in any case that uh, we've been known for for a long time that, 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 as the uh, as, as the Russian laundromat. Uh, so the, the the dirty money is, is filtered through London and uh, and cleaned up. Is this the reputation that our institutions would have wanted anyway? But if anything now demands change, it it is this um, this invasion of of Ukraine because let's face facts, Russia has already invaded Ukraine. It did it actually back in 2014 when it snatched um, Crimea off Ukraine. Um, it, it's done it again by uh, by now um, recognizing the, the, the breakaway statelets in, in Ukraine. This kind of action has got to have the, the kind of response that says we're going to clean up London and we're going to make it the the city that I think most of us would want it to be something that yes serves a, a commercial need, but doesn't serve the the crooks and the oligarchs and those who prop up the the um, the, the well people describe it as the, the kleptocratic regime in Moscow. Those who would steal the wealth of Russia and uh, put it into the hands of uh, Mr. Putin
0: and his close friends. Other countries are also being under pressure to do this, but it, London is the main area. Why do you think it is, Mr Lloyd, that London has acquired this reputation as being the laundromat for the dirty money? What was so attractive to these oligarchs and businessmen and women who have been skimming off money from the Russian state? Why Why us?
1: Mm. Well, I think, I mean, historically, of course, the role of the City of London has been, you know, the, or anyway, one of the two premier financial capital capitals in the world that means that it's an obvious place to look what we've not done though is followed up the with the the regulatory regime that fits the the modern world you know back in the the 19th century or the, the middle of the 20th century we probably didn't need to look at the, the types of controls we now need but um oligarchs who make uh, you know, so much money in, in a few years and who can then uh, with with whatever criminal back, background activity um, who can then shift the money through London and quite simply should be stopped from doing that and so we need now to bring our laws up to date to make sure the controls are there to, to say no it's not going to happen here and we will work to make sure it doesn't happen anywhere else because in the end one of the things that's most important in the, the, the present uh, uh, the debate is that we act together with um, our European neighbors, with the United States, that there is a, a common view um, around the world. And that we also recognize that, um, that we don't get diverted when the next crisis comes along and say to uh, Mr. Putin and his friends, um, don't worry, we'll we'll move on. We've got to be serious now and say this time, Really going to make this work. You're not going to launder your money through London. You're not going to be able to raise the the, the finance to uh, to invest in, um, in in the things that you want in Russia on the the capital markets of the West. And if we can do that together, we can have a, a real impact on uh, Mr. Putin and perhaps most importantly on those with influence around him, because they'll be the ones who feel the
0: real pinch. Absolutely. If I could ask you just finally, you'll have great good contacts in Ukraine because of your uh, experience on the All Party Parliamentary Ukraine Group. Um, uh, the ones you've talked to, Mr. Lloyd, how anxious are people in Ukraine about the the, pros- the possibility of an imminent invasion?
1: Well, I think the news up until now has been very much that uh, people in Ukraine perhaps have been more relaxed than, um, than than perhaps others in in different countries. But you know, I think what has been happening over the last 24 hours 36 hours is that uh, attitudes are changing with the the, the belief in, that, that uh, maybe now this really is getting serious of course in in the end i suppose most of us hope that these um, horrendous things cannot do not happen it's worth recalling though you know that fourteen thousand people have already died in the the, the, the conflicts between uh, russian the russian-backed um, uh, rebels in uh, ukraine and the the, the, the government of the ukraine that's lots of people already so there are there are strong signals that um, mr putin doesn't care too much about loss of life doesn't care too much about ordinary ukrainians and um we need to show the resolve to say that we do and we will do what we can to support them
0: absolutely that's tony lloyd he's the labor mp for rochester and he's the vice chairman of the ukraine all-party parliamentary group thanks for joining us Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free, in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. <music> the threat of war hanging over the heads of the three million residents of Kiev. The Daily Mail's correspondent, Ian Birrell is in the Ukrainian capital, where he's talked to locals and politicians as they prepare for the worst possible invasion by russian troops he joins me now ian we spoke a week or two ago and the atmosphere was i wouldn't say according to you normal um but clearly now the atmosphere has changed and it's much more tense
2: i think so i mean still on the surface daily life goes on the cafe's full the shops are full etc etc but this situation is becoming much more real a state of emergency has been declared today they're, mo- they're calling up the reservists for the military uh, obviously the biggest change is russia's Recognition of the um, breakaway republics and the fact that their troops now are more overtly there. I mean, they've been there for eight years, but they're more openly there. So the situation is clearly heating up the whole time.
0: they're calling up the reservists. What? Who are the reservists? And what age are they? Are they? Is it mainly young men?
2: Yeah, mainly. I mean, this is this is a society which has conscription. There's an army which is about military, which is about 250,000 strong. And um, if you serve in the army or the military, then you are liable to be called up in the years afterwards for a period. So, this is this, or if you've been a regular off, uh, army soldier anyway. So, this is anyone who's been in the military is being called up. So, it's men between sort of in their 20s, 30s, things like that. And about 250,000 people can be called up under this system, which is doubling the size of the military. Probably they won't all be called up straight away. Um, but they're looking to bolster their forces because of the very clear and immediate Russian threat. And then there's also, on top of that, territorial forces who could be called up, who are the more sort of the volunteer
0: type. It shows, doesn't it, Ian, that um, if Putin is picking a fight with uh, Ukraine and is he's, and he's heading into Kiev, he's going to have a massive fight on his hands.
2: Well, we still don't really know what he's planning. I mean, there are still a lot of people who... we What we do know is that he has... Um, recognize the two breakaway self-declared republics. Uh, Those two republics are now claiming the entire territory of the regions which they're in. That potentially allows them to move their forces there and therefore Ukraine would have to defend that. And then that gives Russia the excuse to attack further. What we still don't know on top of that is whether the real aim, if they are to try and expand and grab another chunk of Ukrainian territory, is just to try and protect Crimea and take the water supplies to it from uh, the city of Dnipro, whether it's to take the naval bases, the Black Sea uh, one port on Odessa, the Sea of Azov one with the city of Mariupol, where the, the front line is only a few kilometers outside. It's half a million people, a big industrial centre. Or does he and are the troops in the north in Belarus there just to sort of divert forces, divert attention, and keep the squeeze on Ukraine, or does he really want to use them? to try and tackle and take a major European capital and also the expectation is there'll probably be some things going on in the capital in terms of protests and things like that stirred up again because that's his game that's his, the way he operates.
0: Just finally I know you're under pressure for time um the you know that sanctions have been announced by countries all around the world it's have you gained any view as to whether people think that the west is doing enough America Britain the European Union?
2: Uh, I think it's very mixed. I mean, uh, everyone is very grateful, particularly to Britain, but also to America and and Germany now with Nord Stream on the fact that there is a sense of solidarity with with democracies in the West. And I've heard that expressed again and again, particularly where people are thanking me, not that I've had anything to do with it, as a British representative for Britain's support, which has really been appreciated as sort of moral support. In terms of the sanctions, personally, I thought they were very weak and very limp. Um, as I think a lot of people did in the UK. But I did talk Mm. to one quite hawkish Ukrainian politician yesterday, a member of Zelensky's party, who said actually she thought it's quite good by targeting the people around Putin. That can put a bit of pressure on and change the climate because Putin does depend on this small circle around him. And if they suddenly find their lives are being screwed, uh, at the same time we're seeing the ruble collapse, the stock market collapse, the central bank in Moscow has had to intervene and they actually think even these comparatively small measures can make a, a, a big difference,
0: potentially. Fascinating. And, and the Prime Minister has indicated today at Minister's questions, Ian, that there are more sanctions coming down the line and quite soon.
2: Good. Well, I'm glad to
0: hear that. Absolutely. That's um, Ian Birrell, who's the Daily Mail's correspondent, who's filing some great stuff about fear, fatalism and defiance in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. <laughs> so good news for easter holidays especially if you want to travel on a plane the european union council is recommending coronavirus tests for uk tourists visiting eu countries should be scrapped they say their recommendations should come into effect from march the first but warn that member states can are free to implement their own rules uh joining me now is sean tipton who's a spokesman for abta the travel organization sean um do we have any hunch as to whether the countries will follow the line of the EU Council or all operate separately and independently of their own volition?
3: Well I think what we've seen in the past Andrew when Brussels has issued some kind of direction even though it's not you know they don't have to follow it the majority do so it's definitely a very positive move i'm not saying that all countries necessarily will but i think i think most will and also unilaterally many have already said you know this is this that people can come in if they've been fully vaccinated so like, for example i'm off to germany tomorrow and i think it's not a problem at all in fact another great move that we're seeing as well is a, uh, you know the, you know the rather annoying passenger locator form
0: yes that we very much, fill in yeah. when
3: we get back home again uh well that's being simplified which is good news but also other countries are beginning to scrap theirs so back to germany once more uh last weekend they said that people coming into the country if they've been fully vaccinated would not have to fill in that form so so it's all moving in the right direction for us as an yeah. industry that's made much much easier to travel back to where we were not quite back to where we were pre-pandemic but certainly moving in the right direction
0: i mean simplifying that form let me they should it's seven pages
3: it is. You know, I, know, I remember when I first filled that in, I thought, is, are they serious? Why do they need, to need all this information? But anyway, fair enough, but it was still a requirement. Public health has got to come first. But it, but it was a bit of a stark contrast to other countries when they got me to fill in similar forms, such as Spain, for example, where they didn't ask for anywhere near as much information. So we've been saying that. Before. I mean, we've been trying as an industry to obviously we've got to look at we're in a pandemic public health must come first but at the same time if we are you know going to allow people to travel do it in a simple way as possible without jeopardizing public health so anyway the PLF has been it has been simplified I find exactly how that works when I fill it in to get back into the UK but um but as I said do we actually need it at all particularly if your uh track and trace is being scrapped then no yeah why do you need a PLF
0: yeah no quite And, and Sean, just so I'm clear, so UK tourists, European Union Council, are saying visiting EU countries, those coronavirus tests should be scrapped. What is our approach to EU tourists coming into the UK?
3: We're actually very, well, actually, if you've been double vaccinated, you don't have to take any tests at all. It's That's something like that, so it's really that straightforward. So so it's actually much easier for them to come here than it is for us to go to certain destinations. For example, back to me again, um, I'm off to Italy in March. And as it stands, yeah, the, the Italians insist on, regardless of your vaccina- vaccination status, that you must have either taken a PCR test within 72 hours or a lateral flow test the day before. So cross fingers, the Italians will look at this recommendation from Brussels and think, OK, do we actually need to do this? And that will be great news for me. But not just for me, obviously. It's for all the other people looking to go on holiday. And as you say... Easter is you know that's a very popular time for families in particular
0: yeah and it's near the end
3: of the ski season and I know a lot of people just haven't had a chance to get away at all so if they they are can see them they don't have to take expensive and not just expensive They're also you know they just generally are barrier to travel they don't have to take these tests I think they're much more likely to go.
0: And just uh, just finally, Sean, um, are Mm -hmm. inward flights to the UK now increasing and and increasing quite fast because of the uh, dropping of the requirement for tests?
3: Yes, they are going up, but it's from a very, very, very low base, Andrew. I mean, we're still nowhere near the numbers of people coming into the UK from other countries that we would have seen pre the pandemic. But it's but it is getting better. And I know that if you you know, if you're somebody running a restaurant or selling theatre tickets in the West End, you'd be desperate for foreign visitors to come back again i think the figure i saw from visit britain a few years ago was that the average spend of an overseas visitor as compared to a domestic holiday maker they spend three times as much and that money's been sadly missed so so you right. have more people coming but we're just not back to the levels we saw before but i think it's only a matter of time once they people begin to realize it's so actually quite like difficult to get into the uk as long as you've been fully vaccinated they're going to come
0: in large numbers Glad to hear that. Uh, That's Sean Tipton, uh, spokesman for ABTA. Sport time now. Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood's here with the latest. So, this wretched football match, surely, in Russia in... um St. Petersburg. It's the final of the Champions League, is it? Yes. Uh, due in due in May the twenty eighth. Um, yes. Which uh,
4: bizarre that it's even been appointed to Russia, who are yeah. currently um, obviously serving bans for you know this, that, and the other from uh, from uh, Wada because of the drugs policy that yeah. they had. So they can't even compete in the in the forthcoming World Cup. Should they qualify? Mm. Of course they will, because they'll compete under a, mu- a different flag, under a different like they did flag, with the Olympics. a neutral flag, much like they just did at the mm. Winter Olympics. Um, but anyway, regardless of all that, they, uh, surprise, surprise, were awarded this season's um, Champions League final because uh, money talks yeah. and UEFA like a bit of money. And... Mm. Um, However, now UEFA, you know, even UEFA are going to have to, um, you know, strip them of the final, and they're going to find an alternative venue. We think, you know, obviously they, they said they're looking into it right. uh, at the moment. Um, but obviously, the, the bottom line will be if you can't get fans in there yeah. and you can't get the, uh, the, you can't fill the hospitality seats, then they would rather it was played elsewhere. So um, I'm sure safety comes into it as well. Sure, sure. Uh, but I think probably the bottom line is uh, is um, the uh, the money going through the tills. So could play it in Wembley well they could yeah absolutely yeah Wembley would be an option I think what UEFA might do is wait and see who's in the who the semi-finalists are yeah and then uh, much like they did for for two seasons ago when they moved it from Turkey to Portugal Mm. um, they could they could react quite quickly and decide well there's Four English teams in the semi-finals. Let's let's mm. play at Wembley or Tottenham Stadium. Um, I think both of those right. would be possibilities. There's a slight clash with Wembley due to a playoff final, but I think you know I'm sure they could find a way around that if they had to. That might be Swindon in the playoff final. It could be. So you would have to five Probably have to get Swindon's blessing to yeah. um, to move the Champions League final. Yeah. They'd um, be Warsaw five nil. No, I hope you noticed. I did notice that. Yeah, maybe right. they could play the Champions League final as a
0: sort of warm up <laughs> to um, an order yes. to Swindon's. What uh, a good idea. Yes. Now Chelsea got through the their European match without Lukaku. Yes, yeah, so Lukaku. This is uh, the player they spent a fortune on who's not delivering. This is the pl-
4: exactly right. And. Uh, and impressed by my knowledge? Uh, very impressed. They spent £97.5 million pounds on him.
0: Ridiculous. <laughs> Why do they do that? <laughs> to
4: buy him from Inter Milan in the summer. And he started okay. But right. then on Saturday against Crystal Palace, he yeah. managed only seven touches of the ball uh, during the whole 90 minutes. He played the whole game and he touched the ball seven times. Now, one of them was from the kickoff where.
0: Yeah, divide that into 97. You work out how many uh, millions those. those kicks yes
4: yes exactly well and and it's something like 46 grand per touch from his weekly out of his weekly salary so um, so he was dropped last night right um, and they did well without him. And they did well without him. They're much quicker. They're much more fluid. Uh, mm-hmm. Kai Havertz, um, who who played up front in the yeah. sort of position that Lukaku would play, scored the opening goal and played well. And Chelsea beat Lille 2 0 in the last 16 of the Champions League. Uh, that's just the first leg. So they've got to play them. And that, uh, but Leal are defending their title. They are indeed. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea the Champions. Um, so that game, they pretty much put it to bed because Lille aren't much to write home about. So I'm sure they'll continue that. But what will be interesting is whether Lukaku comes back into the yeah. team. On Sunday. Uh, Chelsea played the League Cup final against Liverpool. Oh. So if Lukaku doesn't start that you think this is uh, last night it was the beginning of the end of his career at Chelsea already. I'm glad you reminded me it was a League Cup
0: final on Sunday.
4: Yes, after, don't so make so any other plan thing I was to do. do. Oh dear, I dear. And a big night for Manchester United in Europe. So tonight's a big night for Manchester United. Uh, This is Ralph Ranić, the interim manager's first game, uh, taking them into Europe. It's the, uh, again, it's the last 16, but they've got a much tougher test ahead of them than Chelsea had last night because they're playing Atletico Madrid uh, away from home. So uh, a tough test. Atletico Madrid aren't quite where they've been. They've slightly fallen off uh, this season under Diego Simeone, but still, um, some quality players there, uh, including People like Luis Suarez, who may not play tonight because he's injured, but they've still got a great side, and it's going to be a tall order for United to progress from this. And uh, and obviously, if they do, then Ranić will, um, you know, will it will be a feather in his cap going forward. And is it at Old Trafford? Tonight's away, and then obviously the second ah, leg. So um, two legs, so yeah, yeah. They're all these are two legs, yeah. Okay. Prediction of the score. Prediction of the score tonight. I'll go for two-two. I think it's going to be a bit of a ding-dong. Right. Yeah, and then, but then I think United to go
0: out in the at home in the home leg. Right. That's interesting. There you go. As the deputy sports editor Matt Gatwood. Get down the book, bookies and put on a bet on a different outcome. he <laughs> doesn't always get it right. <laughs> he gets it right more than me. He's the deputy sports editor. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. So it's not just adults suffering a cost-of-living crisis, it's bad news if you're a youngster. Pocket money's been hard hit too. Rooster monies. Annual pocket money index has been released and it contains sobering news for playground budgets. Income from grandparents is falling, the price of Lego, it's rising and washing the car not as lucrative as in previous years. I'm joined now by Rooster Money's Chief Executive Wilco Michael. Uh, well um, where to start? Why is income down from grandparents?
5: Well yeah really interesting results Andrew. We look over the year um, and you know with this we don't have all the insight here. What we've seen is that that those boosts that grand and granddad are adding are down against aunts and uncles who've overtaken grandparents. So it's great to see that the the family is still contributing i think you know what's been interesting is you know with covid we've seen some of those trends change maybe grandparents are seeing the kids in person less and maybe aunts and uncles are wanting to send more cash as kids are spending more money online on the likes of fortnite and
0: roblox and what we've seen now, the average amount of pocket money children got in 2021 was six pound fourteen pence, down four p from 2020 levels. Of course, we've seen in the same year, um, Will, a, rec- a, a, a huge Philip in rise in inflation. It's now at five and a half percent.
5: Yeah, it's you know, and that inflation, you know, they're they're, they're looking at growing um, even further. Um, so. It's an interesting result we are seeing the beginnings of some age groups, so some older children who will be most affected by um, inflation. their pocket money is starting to increase, but overall it's it's flat, um, and we're going to see that that impact play out. Um, I think what what we'll be looking at over the next year is does pocket money Uh, increase we are seeing kids earning extra money on the side so we're seeing a big growth in selling um, their existing um, toys and possessions to to increase their their income which is great to see that entrepreneurial spirit come through
0: they're also of course still doing chores for mum and dad perhaps washing the car Two pound ninety-four on average mowing the lawn, two pound forty-three cleaning windows, one pound eighty looking after the cat, one pound forty-five. How? What does it cost? Why does it cost that much? Look after a cat? They look after themselves. <laughs> well,
5: we've, we've clearly got some demanding cats in the rooster economy, and um, I, I think the big message around chores, however they're uh, you know paid and, and however jo- jobs are, are paid for, is it, it shows that opportunity of home of encouraging your kids to earn um contributing as well to to the household economy
0: and um just finally these children some of them they're very canny aren't they because quite a lot of them managed to save um some of their pocket money um despite the difficult inflation rate and the fact that they they're, they're um pocket money actually went down a little they still managed to save 39 percent of the money they they were either that they were given
5: yeah it's brilliant and and it's something that we've seen consistently um across um our pmis with rooster money um you know part of the rooster money system is to really get kids engaged with thinking about how they want to use their money and, you know, putting money towards longer term goals rather than you know, that immediate gratification of, of going out and, um, and getting, getting the thing that's, that's nearest with the money they've got. So we see that saving habit build within Rooster Money um, and, you know, really hope that that continues over the next year
0: absolutely and just in case people are puzzled rooster money was acquired by natwest in 2021 as part of the bank's strategy to help families and young people manage their finances more easily if only they've been around when i was a child and will carmichael thank you for joining me he is of course the chief executive of rooster money That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the MailPlus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pearce. This is The Andrew Pearce Show. I'm going to be back with you tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night.